listening to the White Oak Houston podcast, the official podcast of White Oak Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. White Oak exists to help people come alive to the wonder of the gospel and fully follow Jesus. For more information, please visit us online at whiteoakchurch.net. chapter 4, starting in verse 23. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, that's totally all right. We're going to have the words on the screen behind me. Uh, But I want us to read this together, believing that this is God's word for us today, in this moment, in your life. Hear what he has to say. And he, meaning Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you that you are a great God, full of power, full of truth, full of mercy and peace for us this morning. Father, I pray that you would do a great work in our midst as we read your word, as we take you at your word and believe you when you say that you're going to do things for us, that you bring blessing into our life. I pray for each and every person here, Lord, for wherever they're coming from, whatever's going on in their life this morning, I pray that you might speak to them in a very powerful and real way. We trust you. You are great. You are king. And we submit to you in our lives, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated at this time. Well, again, I want to welcome you here this morning uh, to the White Oak Faith family. Uh, My name is James Jandell, and I'm one of the pastors here at this church, and I'm so glad that you're with us today. It's a cold morning, but I'm glad that you're uh, here. Uh, I really hope that this message helps you to find God and to follow Him no matter where you're at in life. Um, and I got just kind of a confession this morning. I'll just be kind of honest. Um, uh, Pastor John and I came literally this morning from our men's retreat. We had that this past weekend. And uh, it was really cool just getting together with like 30 guys and getting into the scriptures and, and getting out there and just having fun, doing some team building. And uh, it was good, but it was also a lot of late nights, uh, going to sleep at like 1230, 1, waking up around 630, you know, ish. And, and I realized um, I'm not 21 anymore. I'm in my 30s. And uh, that has an impact, right? I, I feel really bad this morning, very tired this morning. And uh, I guess I've entered into a new decade. I'm sure some of you, you might say, just wait till you get to your 40s. And then some of you might say, just wait till you get to your 50s and so on and so on. But I'm tired this morning. And I bring that up to say, if God does anything with this message this morning, it is totally God and not me. And it's funny how that's true each and every Sunday, no matter who's preaching. But when you're weak, you're vulnerable, you're not feeling well, you just rely on God so much more. It really shows you how much you need him. And I need him this morning. And so I hope that God speaks to you. But like I said, we we went to men's retreat and it was really, really cool getting around some of these guys, right? And I love that we got a lot of guys in our church who have uh, young kids, they're new dads, and they're sharing about what 
fatherhood is like. And that's really cool for, especially Sarah and I, as we think about starting a family, thinking about what does that look like in our life. It's really cool to get a glimpse into parenthood by talking to these guys. Except when I listen to new dads talk about parenthood, I got to be honest, I hear them and it makes me absolutely terrified. This is what I've gleaned from my conversations with these new dads in the church. Just based off of what I'm hearing from them. This is what Sarah and I have to look forward to. We will not have a solid night's sleep for at least five years. That's what I've gleaned uh, from people. Uh, My personal space bubble, which I enjoy, it's about this big, this is my personal space bubble, is gone after you have kids, right? They're squirming all around you and they're getting on your lap, all this stuff. So personal space is gone. I've learned that kids are sneaky and they're manipulative. They're masters of manipulation. And that's amazing how a two-year-old can be master of manipulation, but they know how to do it, right? You put them to bed, I hear, and then they they find excuses and ways for you to uh, come back into the room. I need this daddy. I need this mommy. All this kind of stuff. So they're masters of manipulation. You got to outsmart them. Uh, And lastly, I've learned that the amount of personal time that you have is directly correlated to the commu- the length of your commute, right? So if you've got a 20-minute commute, that's your personal time. You have a 30-minute commute, that's your personal time. So I've learned uh, maybe I should move a little bit further away from the church and I'll have more personal time, right? So that's just a glimpse into parenthood. But there's also good things, right? I, I see the look in these parents' eyes when they talk about their kids. And you can tell that th- this is like the proudest thing that they have in their life. Parents are so proud of their kids. It's one of the greatest joys. And just hearing dads especially talk about their kids, I just know that having kids leads you into some of your proudest moments in life, right? They're born, they graduate, they, they accomplish their own things in life. It's an amazing glimpse into parenthood talking with these dads, right? Now, I was thinking about this idea of glimpsing into something to come. And I think we, we get some opportunities to do that in life. And some of these opportunities opportunities are kind of shallow and they're not really important and some are more important. Let me give you some examples. Number one, uh, movie trailers are glimpses into what? The movie, right? So you watch a movie trailer, hopefully you get an idea of what the movie is going to be about and you get a glimpse into the movie and hopefully the movie is better than the trailer and it doesn't lead you astray, right? Uh, Another one, dating is a glimpse into what? marriage, right? I remember when Sarah and I were dating, and that was good. Uh, We learned a lot about each other, but it was only a glimpse into what was to come, which was marriage, which is hopefully so much better. A couple of other examples, uh, internships are glimpses into a career or what a company looks like, and this is my favorite one. A New Day preview service is only a glimpse into New Day Church, right? Uh, On your chair right now, you've got an invitation to a New Day preview service. And if you're new or visiting with us, uh, you're in a, uh, you've joined us in an amazing, exciting time in our church where we're going to restart our church on September 15th of this year with a renewed commitment to reach people in our neighborhood for Jesus. And so we're going to have some of these preview services along the way to show how it's going to be different, how it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a really special time. So please come to that, but just know that this is only a glimpse into New Day Church to come. And when I was thinking about glimpses, you know, I think the question that comes up is, what is better, the glimpse or the actual thing? The actual thing is better than the glimpse. This morning, I've entitled my sermon, Bold Kingdom. God has done something really amazing for us. God has given us a glimpse into his kingdom. 
all throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, God is promising that his kingdom is coming. His reign is coming. The day when he will finally take this world back under his reign and his people will live in the grace and truth and light of his kingdom. And God says it started when Jesus came to earth. It started with Jesus' ministry. But this is only a glimpse into the kingdom. He's given us a glimpse of what it looks like. I love what the Apostle Paul says. I believe it's 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. He says, The kingdom of God does not consist of talk, but of what? Power. The kingdom of God does not consist of talk, but of power. When Jesus came on the scene, he proclaimed a bold gospel that in him God was reconciling the world to himself. Sin is no longer king, God is king. And in Jesus, God is reconciling us to himself. But in his ministry, Jesus also backed it up with bold works. Jesus had a bold message and bold works to back it up. And I think we love that about Jesus because Jesus is not just talk. Jesus is about power and work. Jesus is not a politician who promises one thing and then does another. He's not someone who's looking out for himself. He is looking out for his people. Jesus is giving us a glimpse into the kingdom of God. And you and I are called to live within that reality, live our lives within the reality that the kingdom is here and it's coming. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to teach you from the Word of God what that looks like and how we do that well. So if you would turn back to me, let's just jump right into it this morning. Let's look back at verse 23, the start of our passage, just that verse. And it says, And he went throughout all of Galilee, which is just a region around modern-day Israel, uh, Jerusalem, just a region where Jesus taught often. And he was teaching in their synagogues, which is a Jewish place of worship, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So before we get into how to live within the kingdom of God, we have to understand what is the kingdom of God? What is this phrase, gospel of the kingdom? Very simply, hopefully it'll be up on the screen. The gospel of the kingdom is the good news that through Jesus, God's power and God's authority is breaking into the world like never before. Right? You may have heard this phrase, gospel, a lot. We use that phrase a lot in our church. We are a gospel-centered church. One of our values is a bold gospel. Uh, But you may see this phrase, gospel of the kingdom, and that shows up, I think, two times in the New Testament, and and we may be confused. What is the gospel of the kingdom? I understand the gospel, but what is the gospel of the kingdom? The truth is, when we hear the word gospel, we often think about how it applies to ourselves, right? And that's a good thing. We need to think about that. Jesus died for you personally, right? You live in the domain of darkness and of sin and death and and forces of evil have power over you and addictions have power over you. And Jesus died to break those things for you individually. And he rose to new life so you individually could rise to new life. The, The gospel has very personal implications, but it also has very worldwide cosmic uh, implications. Think about this room, God speaks to you personally. God died for you personally, but he also died for the people around you. God is not just interested in us individually, but also what he's building into his kingdom on this world. So the gospel is both personal and it's worldwide. You see, when Jesus came, he didn't just come to tweak things a little bit. 
That's what we think. Jesus came, he's going to tweak a little bit of my life, make it a little bit better, I'm good to go. He's going to tweak this world, make it a little bit better. No, Jesus has come to establish a new world order, a new way of doing things. Jesus has come to overthrow injustice, to overthrow sin, to overthrow sickness and death and racism and uh, pride and, and selfishness. He came to overthrow all these things and, and it's breaking into the world right now, but it'll ultimately be complete when he returns again. So the gospel of the kingdom is the fact that God is working in a very new way through Jesus and he continues to work now even to this day. But if we're living under a kingdom, two implications come out from that. Number one, Jesus proclaims himself as the king of the kingdom. Jesus proclaims himself as the king over the kingdom. And a king has power. And when you look at this passage, look at what's happening here. People are coming and they're sick and they've got diseases and they're oppressed by demons. They've got all kinds of issues. And Jesus meets all of their needs. Jesus is saying in this moment, demonstrating in this moment, that there is not one domain of life that he is not king over. Sickness, king over that. Oppression, king over that. Problems, issues with demons, whatever it is, he is king over those things. Jesus has the power to meet the need of every person who comes to him. I don't know why you're here, personally. But you must be here because you have something in your life that you can't fix, that you can't overcome, that you're not victorious over. You are here because you need a greater power to help you. Jesus is that greater power. Jesus has power over all domain of life. So Jesus is king, that means he has power. Number two, Jesus is king, and that means he has authority. Jesus did not come to institute a holy democracy. Think about it. Every other authority in your life is limited in scope. Who has a boss in here? Who has a boss? Like a work boss. Raise your hand if you have a work boss. Okay, you have a boss. Your boss is your authority while you're at work, right? Eight to five, he's your boss, she's your boss, he's your authority while you're at work. When you're not at work, they're not your boss. You can do whatever you want during that time, but during work hours, they're the authority over your life. How about you're a kid, you're living in your parents' home, they have authority over you as long as you're what? In their household, right? As long as you're in my household, you obey by what? My rules, right? I was thinking, even the governor of this fine state of Texas really only has authority over you as long as you live in Texas. You move out of Texas, no longer has authority over you. Jesus is different. Jesus has total authority over all of life, right? I love Abraham Kuyper. He says this uh, famous quote. He says, there is not one square inch over which the risen Christ does not say, mine, and I rule over it. Now, let's be honest with that. I'll be honest. I'm a church. I'm going to be honest with you. Hopefully, be honest with me. We hate that. Right? Don't give me the Jesus answer. We hate that. We hate being under authority. We hate ceding authority of our life over to someone else. And there's some reasons for that, right? Number one, we dislike authority. The irony of humans is that we want total freedom 
even if it kills us, right? We want freedom over our life. We dislike ceding any part of our life over to someone else, even if it's good for us. Number two, we distrust authority. And I think for good reason, right? You look at authority figures in our day. Should you have authority figures in your life or authority figures in Washington or even, uh, you've seen the news lately, authority figures maybe within the church or within Christianity, and they failed you. They did not act in your best benefit. They broke in trust. Watching news makes me hate authority. Makes me mistrust authority. But in this passage, I believe we see a different kind of authority. Jesus is giving a glimpse for how the kingdom of God is different than the kingdoms of this world or the authorities of this world. And Jesus reveals something very important about the kingdom. Jesus reveals God's kingdom through acts of mercy. I think even more amazing than the fact that Jesus is doing all these miracles in this passage. That's amazing enough. But to me, the amazing thing about this passage is that Jesus has come. He declares himself king over this world. And instead of saying, uh, get down, serve me, I'm not going to help you, he comes with acts of mercy. Literally, the king has come. And he says, the reason you know the king has come is that the, heal, the deaf are made well and the, the, the sick are healed and all these different things. God is doing these things through Jesus and saying, this is how you know that the kingdom has come. God is doing miracles through Jesus. When Jesus came, he established his authority not by striking down sinners, but by healing addictions, by restoring marriages, by healing the sick, by overcoming issues in our life. These powerful transformations in our life are a seal that the kingdom of God has come upon us. And I love how these uh, gospel writers, when you think about the four gospels, how uh, many of these writers were personal associates of Jesus. And they were walking with him over the course of his ministry. And it's funny how they record these things. And no one disputes the fact that Jesus did these miracles. No one disputes that. There's no narrative in the gospels that said that Jesus did not do these things. Even the religious authorities knew that he was doing stuff. They couldn't counteract that. So they said the only way he must be doing this is that he's doing it by the power of Satan, which is just so ludicrous. So it's just crazy that they would think that, but they had to find a way to try to counteract Jesus. Even Luke, he investigated everything Jesus did interviewed people, dozens of people, all these people to try to figure out Jesus's life and ministry. And even there, he found all the things he did to be true. Jesus's ability to heal back in the day and in our day is proof that he is God and that the kingdom of God has come among us. But this idea that Jesus is revealing the kingdom of God through mercy has huge implications for the way that we conduct ourselves in this world. Think about it. The front door of the kingdom of God is mercy. It's the cross. That's the entrance into the path of God, into life, into the kingdom is mercy. And Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Just as Jesus has come, he sends us out. Jesus has given us authority to act in the same ways that he has acted, to conduct ministry in the same way that he has conducted ministry. 
Uh, I had a mentor say to me one time, to be in authority, you must be under authority. We have authority from Jesus when we submit to the authority of Jesus in our life. These are some things that Jesus gives us authority over when we're under authority in him. You have authority over untruth and lies. You have authority to quote scripture and to understand scripture and to speak truth into the life of the people around you. Into the delusions of this world. Jesus says you have authority to speak truth into the life of the people around you. You have authority to pray for others. Jesus says, as I have done this, pray for others so you too can pray for others. I give you that authority. Uh, Even just this morning, uh, you may not know him. uh, We have Ryan. He was on the keys this morning. And and right before the service, he came over to me and said, hey, can I just pray for you that God be with you, give you power this morning? Jesus gave him authority to do that. And he did that. He acted on that. You have authority to disciple someone in the faith. But this authority is not on your own. Your authority comes when you're under the authority of Jesus. But we're called to do these things. Heal the sick, pray for the sick, redeem the lost, restore broken relationships, help people overcome addiction. The kingdom of God is clearest when mercy is most evident. And you can do that in whatever domain you're in. You say, you know what, I don't have much authority in my life. Uh, you know, maybe I just got a couple employees that I have under me. You have domain. You have a mini kingdom that you're called to reflect the kingdom of God in. You're like stay-at-home mom. You're like, all I have authority is over my kids. Well, reflect the kingdom with your kids. And the kingdom is about mercy and grace and about the power of God. Maybe you're a man. All you have is your household. That's your kingdom. Reflect the kingdom of God in these things. Your mindset should be, where I go, the kingdom of God goes as well. Look at verse 24. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick and all those afflicted by various diseases and pains and those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and the paralytics, and he healed them all. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from all beyond the Jordan. So you see something happening, right? Jesus has bold, a bold message and he has bold works, right? And we see that this bold message and these bold works attracted fame and followers, but it did not keep them. See, Jesus has a bold message and the bold message of Jesus to this world is kind of intriguing, right? Power of Jesus, new life in Jesus. People are intrigued by that. And maybe even you're here today because you kind of saw what was happening here at this church. You saw blessings of God on this church. You see things happening. You're intrigued by that. And you're coming in to see kind of what's going on. That's exactly what was happening around the life of Jesus. Boldness is attractive. When we are people who are bold in the gospel and say, you know what, I don't care, come what may, I trust God, I believe him in my life, I believe him over my circumstances, people are drawn to that. People are not drawn to us when we're half in, half out. I kind of believe God. I kind of don't believe God. That's not attractive to people. When we're all in on faith in God, we're attractive. But here's the thing. That's not enough. Verse 25 says, Great crowds followed him from all these cities. When Jesus was doing miracles, crowd was flocking to him. But look at this. John chapter 6, verse 66. You don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screen. 
later on in Jesus' ministry, it says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Peter goes on to say, No, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. So when Jesus was blessing, when Jesus was doing miracles, when Jesus was doing transformation in life, the crowds were flocking to him, right? And then we find this passage in the book of John, and this comes after Jesus had some very hard teachings. And some people heard those teachings and said, you know what? I can't get on board with that. I'm not going to follow Jesus anymore. Right? When the miracles are coming, when the blessing is coming, the transformation is coming, I'm all in. But when Jesus starts getting into some of the areas of my life and says, Jesus, don't go there. I can't follow you into those places. That's exactly what we're seeing here among these people. The miracles are happening. The crowds are flocking. And when Jesus starts calling us into discipleship, into following him in our life, into laying down our other kingdoms and our authority for his authority— crowds start turning away. And then Mark chapter 14, verse 50, look at this. This is when Jesus was betrayed and going to the cross, and they all left him and fled. Great crowds with the miracles, smaller crowds with the discipleship, no one followed him to the cross. No one followed him into suffering. Where'd they go? Peter, where'd you go? I thought you were all in on it. I think it's easy to follow God in the blessings and through the miracles and through amazing things that happen in our life. But we're also called to follow God through the dry seasons as well, through the suffering as well. I wonder, do we, have a, do we believe in a bold enough gospel? Do we believe God enough to say, you know what? I can follow Jesus until the next blessing. I can follow him through the desert, through the, until the next miracle. In the church, we're not called to be miracle seekers. We're called to be Christ seekers and to follow him regardless of where that leads us. We don't seek miracles. We seek Jesus. That's the tension. That's the tension this morning. Here's the thing. The kingdom is here, and the world is still broken, right? The kingdom is here, but the world is still broken. And we live in that tension. We live in the middle of his kingdom come, and the world is broken, and injustice is there, and sin is there, and sickness is there. We live in the middle of these things, and Jesus is calling you as a subject of his kingdom to live boldly in that tension. Jesus said in one sense the kingdom of God really is here. And in another sense the kingdom of God is only on its way. It's not fully here. You think about it. Jesus did not eradicate cancer. That still persists in this world. Jesus healed as people came to him. But Jesus' primary ministry was to call people into the kingdom of God. What Jesus did was equip empower and commission his people to advance the kingdom of God in their day, come what may. We're called to live boldly in this tension. How do we do that? Number one, we obsess over Jesus, not miracles. I believe in the power of God, and we're going to get to that in a second. 
But I also believe that Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God first. Miracles and blessings and transfer, those kind of things, they can be stumbling blocks to people. They were a stumbling block to some of the followers of Jesus. We're called to seek him first. And uh, I had someone bring this up to me one time, and this is so true. Every single person that Jesus healed, whether they were deaf, lame, whether they were sick, whatever it was, they eventually died, right? Like he healed them, that was for a season, but they eventually died. And I think it shows that we're not called to put our hope in this life. Come what way we put our hope in Jesus and in eternal life and into the life to come and the kingdom to come. And we're called to put our hope into that. We don't put our hope in miracles. We don't put our hope in things that God can do for us. We put our hope in Christ and in him alone. We obsess over Jesus at this church. We obsess over things that he does for us, but we obsess primarily over Jesus through the miracles and through the suffering as well. Number two, we pray for and expect God to break through. We believe with the Apostle Paul that the kingdom of God does not come with talk, but in power. When someone brings to me a need got deep brokenness in their life, alcohol addiction, porn addiction, whatever it is. They got a deep need in their life. Or they have a family member who's sick in the hospital. When I pray, I believe that God can do something. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. I believe that. Even in, a, I think it was about a week or so ago, we had a guy in our church whose dad was literally on his deathbed. And, and his family had to make kind of this hard decision. Uh, he was in a coma. They kind of make a hard decision of, you know, do we, do we take him off the respirator? Do we allow this to happen? And the doctors were kind of helping them work through that. And they decided as a family, uh, that's something that uh, we think is best, something that we need to do. And uh, they prayed before they did that. And this guy in our church made sure that they prayed before they did that. And they went through the process and, and they made it happen. And then he continued to breathe. They were like, Everyone was very surprised by that. And then the next day, he woke up. The power of God in our day is still very evident and still very working. The Bible says it's there. Jesus did miracles, and if he did miracles, he does miracles, right? If he did it back then, he does it today. And we believe that in our life. We don't obsess over miracles, we obsess over Jesus, but we believe in Jesus' power to break through and to do things in our life. He changes things. Prayer changes things. We come under the authority of Jesus and we say, God, we believe that you can do this. And I believe that that is very attractive to the people around us. We pray for them and we believe in the power of God. So we obsess over Jesus, not miracles, and we pray for it and we expect God to break through in unusual ways. Number three, we publicly celebrate God's goodness in all circumstances and outcomes in our life. We don't hinge our worship of God on what he does for us. We don't hinge our worship of God to, his out, to the outcome of the situation. I love what Job says. If you're suffering or if you're going through a hard season, Job is a great book for you. I love what Job says. After all these things happen in his life, basically his life is decimated. And in the midst of this season, the worst season of his life, Job says, the Lord gave 
and the Lord is taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. That is worship. Our hope is not meant to be put in things that can be taken away. That's not hope. That's just dreaming. Health, money, good fortune, whatever it is, we don't put our hope in these things. We put our hope in Jesus and his promises because he never takes those away. So we celebrate God in all outcomes. We say, I believe God can do it. I believe he will do it, but even if he doesn't, I worship him. As we draw to a close this morning, I want to highlight uh, probably a prayer that you've heard before, and I think it's a really powerful prayer. Uh, If you're in our New Day class, this is actually one of the verses that we're uh, memorizing, and it's the Lord's Prayer. And uh, I haven't quite got the whole thing memorized yet, but I really love the beginning. In the beginning of this prayer, Jesus says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Even before Jesus goes on and says, give us this day our daily bread, uh, protect us, all these different things. Before he even prays those things, Jesus prays, your kingdom come. It was first and foremost on Jesus' mind. And it should be first and foremost on our minds as well. When we pray, your kingdom come, we are declaring a bold gospel. Because when you think about it, to say your kingdom come is to say, God, I'm laying down my authority. I'm laying down my kingdom. I'm laying down my expectations. And I want your kingdom to come in my life and in this world. We put our hope in Christ, and in the kingdom that he is ushering in. <laughs> I was talking to John here on the, the, the way back from uh, the retreat, and we were talking about the sermon, and he was listening to some of it, and he was like, you know what? My political party is the kingdom of God. <laughs> My political party is the kingdom of God. See, sometimes I think we get so caught up in trying to shape the society around us, shape the, shape the moral landscape around us. When in fact, Jesus is simply calling us to embody a new kingdom in our midst. And we can't control what happens out there. We're going to do our best to be a prophetic voice in our day, in our culture. But this is where the kingdom of God is at. And when people come into these doors, when people come into our community, I hope that what they see is a glimpse of the kingdom of God. That out there it's dog eat dog, but in here there's mercy. Out there there's judgment, but in here there's grace and forgiveness. Out there everyone's out for themselves, and in here we help one another. We're a real family. I love the fact that we're planning New Day Church here in a few months. And in the meantime, it's like we're we're giving a glimpse into what that's going to look like. New Day Church is like us planting a flag into this place and saying, you know what? The kingdom of God is here. We're a bold outpost for the gospel in our neighborhood. And each and every one of us is called to be a part of that. Live in his kingdom be an agent of his kingdom and pray.
pray that his kingdom would come every day in your life, through your life, and in this world. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that your kingdom is breaking into the darkness of this world. Lord, I look at the news sometimes and it it doesn't feel like your kingdom is here. But then I turn and look at your church and I say, of course it's here. It's happening right now. We are living under your reign. We are living under your grace. And we are agents of that kingdom. I pray for each and every person here, Lord, two very simple things. Number one, I just pray that your kingdom would just rise up in their hearts, Lord. That they might truly believe in the radical grace and forgiveness that you offer over their life. Secondly, Lord, I pray that that radical grace and that kingdom we're living in would transform us to be agents of your kingdom in our day, in this world. That we would not reach back or or shrink back from injustice. We would not shrink back from sickness, but that we might reach out and put our hands on it. Even as Christ put his hands on the sick, he didn't care if it was messy. He didn't care about taking some of that on himself, Lord. And we want to be just like Jesus. So we want to run toward darkness and run toward sickness and despair with the hope of Jesus. We love you, Lord, and I just pray that you be with us this morning. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.